Hello and welcome to this installment of AZ Law. I'm your volunteer reader and Phoenix attorney, Paul Wyke, and we explore Arizona's legal and judicial systems in this new program. AZ Law came about to provide Arizona legal news for Sun Sounds of Arizona, which is the nonprofit reading service for people with disabilities which make it difficult for them to read or hold printed material. It is broadcast on the third Saturday of each month at 11 a.m., and other installments are available there on demand. Our Arizona's lawweb.org website is independent of SunSounds, but its prime focus is to support SunSounds. SunSounds is a service of the Rio Salado Community College, along with KJZZ and KBAQ radio stations. Our website has links to those stations and to sunsounds.org and information on how you can become a member of the stations. We urge you to do so now, in fact. Go to arizonaslaw.org and click on the link. AZ Law is now available for download at that website, as well as on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Music and Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. And please go ahead and subscribe. And with that, let's go ahead and get to the news. Our first article is from the Associated Press on October 15th. Lawyer says Assessor Peterson miscast as human smuggler. A lawyer for an Arizona elected official charged in three states in an international adoption scheme said Tuesday that prosecutors have miscast his client as a human smuggler. Attorney Matt Long said Maricopa County Assessor Paul Peterson cares deeply for the mothers from the Marshall Islands whom he connected with adoptive parents in the United States. Prosecutors say that Peterson paid the women up to $10,000 to come to the U.S., where they were crammed into houses to wait to give birth and then provide their babies for adoption. Peterson faces charges in Arizona, Utah, and Arkansas that include human smuggling, sale of a child, fraud, forgery, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. This was not human trafficking, Long says. That's going to be borne out by the evidence. That's going to be borne out by the manner in which it will be demonstrated that Mr. Peterson dealt with the birth mothers and their adopted families. A judge in Phoenix has delayed Peterson's arraignment until after an October 29th hearing in Arkansas, where he faces federal charges. A judge in Utah this week declined to reduce the $3 million bail. The amount was based in part on $2.7 million that authorities say was deposited into an account for adoption fees over several years. Peterson's Utah attorney, Scott Williams, said much of that money has been spent. Peterson is currently in federal custody. There are nearly 30 pending adoptions in Arkansas, Arizona, and Utah that were being handled by Peterson's company, according to court documents. The women in Utah were frightened and nervous, in quotes, after Peterson was arrested, according to an affidavit filed by a special agent with the Utah Attorney General's office. They did not have money, cell phones, or transportation, prosecutors said. The agent also said Peterson and his associates would take the passports from the Marshallese women while they were in the U.S., which gave him more control over them. Peterson has been unfairly ping-ponged between state and federal custody and has been largely denied access to his lawyer, Long said. That has made it hard for Peterson to defend himself and for lawyers, mothers, and adoptive families to understand the ramifications for pending adoptions. He said, I can't get access to him. Other people can't get access to him for a sufficient amount of time in order to work through some of these issues, Long said. 
Peterson, he said, helped his clients navigate the complicated emotions involved with adoption. That's been consistent in Mr. Peterson's life, a care and concern for the Marshallese community, Long said. He also said Peterson has no plans to resign from his elected position as Maricopa County Assessor, determining the values of properties for, for tax purposes. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey and virtually all of Maricopa County's elected officials, the Board of Supervisors, have said that Peterson, a Republican, should quit because the charges make it difficult for him to serve. Peterson and Long both completed missions in the Marshall Islands with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they later worked in the islands on behalf of an international adoption agency. They continued working with the agency while both were in law school in Arizona. Long said he is looking for a different attorney to represent Peterson because of their friendship and Long's own deep ties to the Marshallese community, noting that he adopted a Marshallese child himself 20 years ago. And that was a report from the Associated Press headlined, Lawyer Says Assessor Peterson Miscast as Human Smuggler. Well, this case has been very difficult. There's been several cases in the different states and federal. He's now in federal custody. Let's read this article from the Arizona Republic. What to know about indicted Maricopa County Assessor Paul Peterson and his adoption law practice. It's reported by Chris Coppola and Uriel Garcia for the Arizona Republic, and it was published the previous week. First of all, here's what you need to know about Paul Peterson and the allegations against him. Peterson is in his second term as assessor. He won a special election in 2014 to replace Keith Russell and was re-elected in 2016. His biography on the assessor's website makes clear that he continues to practice law from his Mesa-based law office, and his law practice remains committed to helping people all across, all across the country in their effort to adopt children. Next, he has deep Arizona roots based in Mesa. Peterson's bio says he is a fifth-generation Arizonan whose family traces its roots back to territorial days. He is a lifelong resident of Mesa where he lives with his wife and four children. He's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, served his church mission in the Republic of the Marshall Islands according to court documents. The Republic of the Marshall Islands is located near the equator in the Pacific Ocean between Hawaii and the Philippines. It has a population of about 53,000 people. Peterson earned an undergraduate degree from Arizona State University's Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. In 2002, he earned his law degree from ASU's Sandra Day O'Connor School of Law. Before winning his special election for county assessor in 2014, he worked in the assessor's office as its representative at the state legislature and as public information officer. He is a Republican who has been active in party politics for years. Paul Peterson is the son of former state treasurer David Peterson, who resigned in 2006 when he entered a guilty plea to one misdemeanor count stemming from his failure to report income from his work with a character training program called Character Counts. Paul Peterson also is a second cousin of State House Majority Leader Warren Peterson. A spokesman for Warren Peterson said the Republican legislator from Gilbert only found out that they were second cousins after they met through politics and that he was shocked and saddened by the news of the assessor's indictment. 
how his adoption law practice works. The private law office makes clear what Paul Peterson's practice is all about, helping to facilitate private adoptions that can take place, quote, without direct involvement, close quote, of a third party such as an adoption agency or the state. Peterson's law practice has focused on adoption for 15 years. What are the charges about? Each of the indictments involves issues tied to an adoption fraud scheme. Authorities in Arizona, Utah, and Arkansas held news conferences simultaneously on October 9th to detail the charges against Peterson and his co-defendants. According to authorities, Peterson used his expertise as a lawyer to conduct illegal adoptions. An investigation by the Honolulu Civil Beat, a newspaper, last year questioned the legality of the adoptions Peterson administered. What's the Arizona case about? On October 8th, the Arizona Attorney General's office announced Peterson had been indicted in an adoption fraud scheme that involves women from the Marshall Islands brought to the U.S. to give birth. Their babies then are adopted out to U.S. parents. Peterson and a co-defendant, Linwood Jeanette, were indicted in Arizona the day before on 29 counts of fraudulent schemes and three counts of conspiracy theft and forgery. Eight pregnant Marshallese women were found in a home in Mesa on the night of October 8th when the Department of Public Safety troopers executed a search warrant, according to DPS Director Frank Milstead. There are no plans to charge the women, but it is unclear what will happen to their adoption plans, Milstead said. Peterson is accused of illegally obtaining services from Arizona's Medicaid system, or ACCESS, for the women, falsely claiming that the women were Arizona residents. He also is accused of violating a compact between the United States and the Marshall Islands that prohibits citizens of that country to come to the U.S. if their travel is for the purpose of adoption, unless they have a special visa. It's unfair to the adoptive parents, and it's also unfair to the hardworking Arizona taxpayers, said Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. The Utah case, Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes, said Peterson recruited more than 40 pregnant women from the Marshall Islands over the past three years and transported them to Utah, where they were paid to give up their children for adoption in the U.S. The commercialization of children is illegal, and the commoditization of children is simply evil, he said. Peterson's facing 11 felony charges in Utah related to human smuggling and callers to the state attorney general's human trafficking tip line in October of 2017 reported suspicious births and adoptions involving Marshallese women in Utah hospitals, and that sparked the investigation in Utah, Reyes said. His office does not anticipate any overturned adoptions there as a result of the case. And in Arkansas, the United States Attorney's Office for the Western District of Arkansas detailed the activities of Peterson and his co-defendant there. His co-defendant there is Maki Takahisa. Authorities characterized their, their operation as a scheme to defraud and take advantage of the Marshallese women and their families to make quick money. That indictment says Peterson would offer to pay up to $10,000 through Takahisa's bank account to the pregnant Marshallese women in order to travel to the U.S., give birth to their babies, and then give them up for adoption to American parents. A 19-count indictment was filed in the U.S. District Court in Arkansas, and it charges Peterson and Takahisa with conspiracy to smuggle the women for private financial gain. Also with aiding and abetting the smuggling, wire fraud, mail fraud, conspiracy to commit visa fraud, and conspiracy to commit money laundering.
According to federal court documents there, Peterson and Takahisa had offered to pay at least four Marshallese women to give up their babies for adoption in Arkansas. But U.S. Attorney Dwayne Keyes has said there are dozens of more women. If Peterson is found guilty of all the federal charges in Arkansas, he could be sentenced to up to 315 years in prison and be imposed a $5 million fine. Make no mistake, Keyes said, this is the purest form of human trafficking. Now a little bit about the Marshallese tradition. That's in quotes, according to the Arizona Republic article. On Peterson's law office website, an unsigned blog post from 2018 talks about adoption and the Marshall Islands. Under the headline, Widening Family Circles, the Unique Beauty of Marshallese Tradition. Here is a closer look at Peterson's background and his law practice. It's based in Mesa. He practices in Arizona, Utah, Arkansas, according to the website. It describes the firm as a dedicated law practice focused on family formation through adoption. The site also says Peterson is general counsel for Bright Start Adoptions, an agency with offices in Mesa and Tucson. The site includes several client testimonials for his private adoption work and notes that the cost for his services can range from $30,000 to $40,000 for a single adoption. A notable blog post talks about the Marshallese tradition and what it calls the cultural differences between adoption in the U.S. and in the Marshall Islands. What American society calls adoption is mostly legalistic and formal. The act of adoption among Marshallese creates a kinship, a bond, between birth and adoptive parents. It goes on to describe a shared connection to the child between birth and adoptive parents. And it says, traditional Marshallese adoptions do not include total denial of parental rights. Birth parents continue to have a relationship with their child, and their biological connection is known. No stigma is connected to the child, and the child is considered shared among both sets of parents. Unlike American adoptions, the blog adds, in the Marshall Islands, being adopted means you have an additional set of parents. Yes, bonus parents, rather than the exchange of parents. The blog goes on to explain how the firm believes that such open adoptions are the most rewarding for all parties involved. And it says, Paul lived in the Marshall Islands and came to understand the beauty in the sense of community there. Returning to the U.S., he wanted to build families and blend the strengths of both cultures' adoption practices. Peterson's law office website says that he has many resources and contacts in Arizona, Arkansas, and Utah that have helped him in his practice identify birth parents and match them with a couple or an individual looking to adopt. The website notes that 45 states have laws allowing private adoption arrangements. And that was a, a primer from Uriel Garcia and Chris Coppola in the Arizona Republic. Well, let's move on to another case that uh, has gathered national attention over the years in Arizona. This headline is Judges Grapple with Misconduct Claims in the Jody Arias Case. It's an Associated Press article reported by Brian Webb and Jacques Bellot. Appellate judges who will decide whether to reverse Jody Arias's murder conviction in the gruesome 2008 killing of her former boyfriend grappled on Thursday with who was responsible for whipping up publicity during the salacious trial and whether alleged misconduct by a prosecutor should cause the verdict to be tossed. A lawyer for Arias told the Arizona Court of Appeals that Prosecutor Juan Martinez improperly questioned witnesses, that he ignored rulings on evidence, courted publicity, and 
made an unfounded accusation that an expert on her defense team had had an inappropriate relationship with Arias. The theme of the prosecutor's case was, everybody else you should ignore but me, said Corey Angle. Terry Crist, a lawyer for the Arizona Attorney General's office, told the judges that he believes Martinez may have occasionally violated court rules, but none of his actions should lead to a, a reversal of the conviction. The evidence of guilt is very strong in this case, Crist said. Arias is serving a life sentence for her first-degree murder conviction in the death of Travis Alexander at his home in Mesa. Prosecutors have said Arias violently attacked Alexander in a jealous rage after he wanted to end their affair and that he planned a trip to Mexico with another woman. Arias has acknowledged killing Alexander but claimed she acted in self-defense after he attacked her. He was stabbed nearly 30 times, had his throat slit, and was shot in the head. The guilt phase of Arias's trial ended in 2013 with jurors convicting her of murder but deadlocking on punishment. A second sentencing trial ended in early 2015 with another jury deadlock, leading a judge to sentence Arias to life. The case turned into a media circus as salacious and violent details about Arias and Alexander were broadcast live around the world. Arias had actively courted the spotlight since her 2008 arrest. She did interviews on TV's programs 48 Hours and Inside Edition after her arrest and was on the witness stand for several weeks during the trial. She also did a series of media interviews after her conviction. Arias and Martinez were not in the courtroom for Thursday's hearing. Engel said Martinez capitalized on publicity and went so far as to sign autographs and take pictures with fans outside the courthouse. She also denied her client had courted publicity. It doesn't appear she ever gave up her desire to get her story out, Judge Jennifer Campbell said. Campbell asked what judges should do when a prosecutor, quote, becomes an actor on stage loving publicity, end quote. Crist said the judges could uphold convictions in such cases and still refer the prosecutor to the State Bar of Arizona for possible discipline. Campbell brought up a sidebar conversation among lawyers and the trial judge during the Arias trial in which Martinez profanely told one of the defense attorneys that if he had been married to her, he'd kill himself. The prosecutor apologized after an objection was made. Crist said the encounter happened outside of the presence of the jury. Judge Kenton Jones then asked if such behavior by a prosecutor is acceptable if jurors do not witness it. It's not okay at all, Crist responded. After Arias's attorney filed the appeal, new complaints were made against Martinez, though none of those have been raised in this case. A judge who handles disciplinary cases against attorneys this summer threw out allegations that Martinez made sexually inappropriate com comments to female law clerks in his office and had inappropriate contact with a woman who had been dismissed from Arias's jury and later texted nude photos of herself to the prosecutor. The remaining allegations against Martinez in the attorney disciplinary case include claims that the prosecutor leaked another juror's identity to a blogger with whom Martinez was having a sexual relationship. Martinez was reprimanded by the county prosecutor's office in 2018 for inappropriate and unprofessional conduct toward female law clerks. And the disciplinary process continues against Martinez and former county attorney and now Arizona Supreme Court Justice Bill Montgomery. And that article was 
from the Associated Press, judges grapple with misconduct claims in the Jody Arias case. Next, let's turn to an article from yesterday's Arizona Republic. Former Arizona Senate staffer who won discrimination lawsuit will get $353,000 and her job back. This is reported by Maria Paletta and Andrew Oxford for the Arizona Republic. A former policy advisor to Democratic state senators will not get the $1 million payout that a jury recommended in July. Instead, when it found that lawmakers and staffers discriminated against her based on race and sex and then fired her for asking about it. But Talanya Adams will get more than $353,000 worth of back pay, lost earnings, vacation time, and other damages, as well as get her job back, a federal judge ruled on Wednesday. The Senate must reinstate Adams as a policy advisor by October 31st, according to the order. It's great to have some finality around this ordeal, Adams said on Thursday, nearly three years after she filed the suit against the Arizona Senate. She had been fired from her position advising the Democratic caucus in February of 2015 after learning she was being paid less than some male policy advisors and repeatedly pushing for a raise. I sought reinstatement when I first filed the claim because I did want the option of having my job back and being treated in an equitable and fair manner, economically and otherwise, said Adams, who is African-American. How confident am I that I will return to a non-hostile, non-retaliatory environment? I suppose we're going to find out shortly. In her lawsuit, Adams argued she was the only policy advisor who had not received a pay raise during her tenure and was not allowed to pick which committee she staffed, among other inequities. She said those inequities persisted despite Adams being, quote, a strong performer who did not receive any negative criticisms during her employment, end of the quote. When Adams emailed Democratic leadership and staffers to discuss her concerns, then-Senate Minority Leader and now Secretary of State Katie Hobbs called the email inappropriate, saying staff members already had addressed the issues that Adams was raising. Adams then requested a raise directly, citing the higher salaries of white men in equivalent positions and received no response, court records show. Days later, when Adams had to travel to Seattle to deal with a family medical emergency, Senate staff members instructed her to use annual leave. Adams stayed in touch with supervisors while she was out of state and performed some of her work duties while in Seattle, the complaint says, and then abruptly found out she had been terminated for insubordination and abandonment of her job. Hobbs supervised Adams's boss and was part of the group that decided to fire the policy advisor. Court transcripts show Adams won her case in part by raising doubts about Hobbs's ability to trust black women. Current Democratic leadership in the Senate has dismissed that idea. But at an evidentiary hearing held in August, Senate Chief of Staff Wendy Baldo also pointed a finger at Hobbs, testifying that she believed Hobbs and Democratic Chief of Staff Jeff Winkler had discriminated against Adams based on her sex. At that hearing, Adams and the Senate's attorney spent hours outlining their arguments regarding reasonable damages. Jury awards in cases involving intentional employment discrimination are capped based on employer size. The cap is $300,000 for an employer the size of the state of Arizona, so it seemed clear even then that Adams would not receive the $1 million award. But the Senate's lawyer contended damages should be capped further at $100,000 because the Senate was Adams's employer and not the entire state government. 
In his Wednesday order, U.S. District Judge Douglas Reyes rejected that argument. He also denied Adams's request for attorney's fees and lost retirement fund contributions, writing that she had not put forward enough proof for her calculations of each sum. He agreed Adams was entitled to 18 months of $38,693 in back pay, $10,000 in lost earnings, and vacation time and interest for a total award of $353,617.88. And he ordered the Senate to give her job back to her by the end of the month. Aaron Latham, a spokesman for the Senate Democrats, said he could not comment on the ruling Thursday because the terms of Adams's return were still being negotiated. Adams said she had sent opposing counsel an email about the next steps in the process and was waiting to see what their first offer is because I know there have been many there have been substantial salary increases in the Senate since the July verdict. The Senate did issue raises to staff over the summer, with employees in Adams's former position given more than the standard 3% increase in pay. Democratic policy advisors received the largest raises in proportion to previous salaries, with annual pay rising from the range of fifty dollars to $74,000 last year to sixty-one dollars to $103,000. But they are still generally paid less than their Republican counterparts. The Arizona Senate should be a beacon of what it means to operate in a lawful fashion that is equitable and fair to everyone, Adams said. That's why I felt so strongly about the way I was treated and the way others were treated. And that article was from the Arizona Republic, reporters Maria Paletta and Andrew Oxford. The headline was, Former Arizona Senate Staffer Who Won Discrimination Lawsuit Will Get $353,000 and Her Job Back. Well, we have just enough time for this one last article from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services. The headline is U.S. Supreme Court Refuses to Hear Case on Arizona Rental Car Tax. Pima and Maricopa counties are going to get to keep tapping tourists to pay for their sports facilities. The United States Supreme Court refused to review a ruling by the Arizona Supreme Court, which found nothing improper by financing these projects with taxes on car rentals, a levy largely borne by people visiting the state. The justices gave no reason for their decision. It was made on the first day that the nation's high court was back from their summer recess, and it also leaves intact the decision by the Arizona justices that, strictly speaking, a tax on the renting of cars is not a tax on the use of state roads. That distinction is critical. The Arizona Constitution spells out that any cash raised from fees or taxes related to the registration, operation, or use of vehicles on public highways and streets can be used only to build and maintain roads. If the court had found the car rental tax was a levy on the use of public roads, then it would be illegal to use the cash to finance sports stadiums and other similar facilities. Monday's decision ensures that the State Sports and Tourism Authority continues to benefit from the car rental tax. The most recent audit shows the tax of 3.5% on vehicles rented in Maricopa County contributes close to $15.6 million of the authority's $51.8 million annual budget. 
The biggest share of those dollars, or nearly $14 million, goes to paying off the bonds used to construct State Farm Stadium, the home of the Arizona Cardinals. There also is $8.3 million for tourism promotion, $5 million for Cactus League, and $1.8 million for youth and amateur sports. In Pima County, the tax is a flat $350 per vehicle rental, generating about $1.5 million annually. Those funds have been used to pay for construction of the Kino Sports Complex, and while there is no longer Cactus League play in Tucson and the debt is being paid off, the county has kept the levy to expand the complex. In filing suit, attorneys for Sabin Rent-A-Car first charged that the levies violated the Commerce Clause of the U.S. Constitution because it was designed to impose a burden on residents of other states that in general did not exist for Arizonans. Arizona Supreme Court Justice Ann Scott Timmer did not dispute that the tax was sold to voters on the premise that it would be visitors who largely would pay for the sports facilities, but she said that strictly speaking it was not discriminatory because the tax also applies to Arizona. Arizonans who, for whatever reason, also need to rent a vehicle. The closer question was that issue of the state constitution requiring that the proceeds of any tax raised based on the use of public roads be used only for road construction, maintenance, and related purposes, but Timmer said the majority did not see the car rental fee as a road user tax. That drew a skeptical response from Justice Clint Bollock. Even public objectives of the highest order, including apparently the building of publicly financed stadiums, do not license us to rewrite constitutional text, Bollock wrote in his dissent. And that was an article from Howard Fisher of Capital Media Services. U.S. Supreme Court refuses to hear a case on Arizona rental car tax. And we have time for one more article here. New County Attorney Adele signals openness to justice reform. It's reported by Jeremy Duda of azmirror.com. Newly appointed Maricopa County Attorney Alistair Adele says she's open to taking steps on criminal justice reform, both by making changes within her office and by pushing for reforms at the state legislature. I think that this is not strictly a legislative solution. This is looking internally at how we process cases. It's working with our stakeholders in the community, and it's a more holistic approach that I'd like to take, she told reporters during her first press conference as county attorney. Adele has said she has not yet determined what steps she might take in that direction. She said she'll work with stakeholders on reform issues. In her inaugural press conference, Adele announced her transition team. That team includes one of the legislature's most prominent voices for criminal justice reform, Representative Walt Blackman, a snowflake Republican who has sponsored several unsuccessful reform proposals during the 2019 legislative session and is chairing a committee that will craft a sentencing reform proposal for next year. I've developed a relationship with him over recent months where he has engaged me with meaningful, substantive discussions on taking steps towards criminal justice reform. So he is bringing that expertise to the table for our transition team, Adele said. Blackman endorsed Adele during the appointment process for a new county attorney in which she was one of eight candidates. If Adele does embrace criminal justice reform, that would be a significant departure from her predecessor, Bill Montgomery, who Governor Doug Ducey appointed to the Arizona Supreme Court in September. Montgomery was known for a hardline approach to prosecution and actively lobbied against reform proposals at the legislature. 
Adele said she'll do things differently than Montgomery in a number of areas. For example, she said she'll run a less political office than Montgomery, whom critics decried as excessively partisan. And she plans to bring in a lean process improvement team to reduce the backlog of public records requests at the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, saying she is committed to transparency. I think that you'll find that I am different than my predecessor, and I think that we will have a wonderful relationship moving forward, and you'll get to know me a little bit better and how I am differentiating myself, she told reporters. As county attorney, Adele said her priorities will be to protect victims' rights and hold criminals accountable while being just and reasonable. Prosecutors wield incredible power, and as such, there is great responsibility to be fair and ethical. It is my strong belief that a prosecutor's main duty is always to seek justice, she said. Adele said she has instructed her transition team to primarily focus on two things, developing high-level strategic priorities for operations at the Maricopa County Attorney's Office and helping establish citizen advisory boards. She did not say what those boards would focus on. The Maricopa County Board of Supervisors appointed Adele to replace Montgomery on October 3rd. She is a former deputy county attorney and previously worked for the Arizona Department of Child Safety, the Arizona Department of Transportation, and the Maricopa County Bar Association. Prior to her appointment, she served as a legal consultant for nonprofit organizations and small businesses. That article was from azmirror.com, New County Attorney Adele Signals Openness to Justice Reform. And with that, we reach the end of this installment of AZ Law. Remember to listen or download our program wherever you find your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe as well. And since our primary purpose is to support the important services provided by Sun Sounds of Arizona, please don't forget to go to their website and donate. You can find the link on our website, arizonaslaw.org. We have several plans to grow and improve this program in the coming months, but hey, your comments and suggestions to make this program better are always welcomed, especially since this is a new program. You can email me at paul.wyke.azlaw at gmail.com, and Wyke is spelled W-E-I-C-H. And with that, I'm your volunteer reader, Paul Wyke, thanking you for listening to AZ Law.